So uh, today we're taking a look at what Jesus's mission was. So we're going to talk about that uh, for a bit. Last week I told you that Jesus's favorite way of identifying God, you can go and bring up my stuff, uh, Trudy, uh, was Abba, which uh, is often thought of as Father, but Father doesn't capture it, which is why I changed the song Good, Good Father to Good, Good Abba. And if the writer of the song has a problem with that, he's really got a problem with Jesus, so it's okay. Uh, he'll, he'll, he'll be all right with that. <laughs> so Abba connotes an intimacy, a familiarity that Father doesn't necessarily afford. Father is Father, you know, the big voice and got to go talk to Father about wrecking the car. But Abba, Daddy, not that I've had that experience before at all, but, <laughs> but Abba is different. Abba's Daddy. Abba, like I mentioned last week, is when he comes home from work or from wherever, he's down on a knee so he can embrace his kid. He's got, him, got his kid on his lap. He's get him hugs, tickle fights, all, all the most wonderful qualities you can possibly imagine a good daddy to be. That's what Jesus loved to call God. And I think he had this idea, I think he named God in this way, out of his experience. And I think that experience of God being that loving changed his life. I think that's the touch that he got when he was baptized, that sent him on a camping trip for 40 days, that totally redirected his entire life. So when he came back from that, you couldn't get him to shut up <laughs> about this loving daddy uh, that he discovered God to be. Love for everybody, everywhere, and creation itself. He couldn't stop talking about it. Well, today I want to talk about, okay, so if that's true, uh, then, um, then what, what was his point of it all? Uh, now, in our mission statement, if you go on our website, and by the way, that little QR code gives you all the stuff from today. So if you liked any of these songs, you can go listen to all those right there. Um, but, you know, if, if you go on our website and you find our belief statement, you're going to see that uh, we have one little word there that says, well, Jesus was basically on mission uh, about resurrection, restoring things the way they're supposed to be or could be. And then we go into these behaviors that Jesus did that are choices for us. And they include uh, choosing to be lifelong learners. So we never stop learning about God and understanding what it means to be a person of God and let God mature us more and more and more. And we kneel like Jesus knelt. Uh, we're graceful uh, like Jesus was with other people, which is also a justice move. Uh, so uh, grace usually means that there's been an offense in some way. And so we speak love and grace to that. But at the same time, we recognize that there are people who need grace because they've been victimized. And so we're also doing that at the same time. And there are many instances of Jesus where he did that. We're about connecting with God. So spending time where we make that happen, like today and in your own personal life, that's another step. And then doing it all together. Uh, these, these are sort of the movements that we see in Jesus that led to this abundant life of his. But for what purpose? I talked about restoration, but we're going to go deeper on that. And to kind of get us to that, I've got a range of questions for you. Um, we're going after what was Jesus' mission? What was he really about? And my general question for you is, how do we discover a person's true nature? So my daughter is threatening 
to date a young man that she met at the office. <laughs> They're not officially dating until uh, tax busy season for her company is over because she's doing accounting work now in the city. Uh, so they've not had an official date but they sure have had a lot of coffees together. I don't know what the difference is, but anyway, uh, it seems to be off to the races. And I want to understand, you know, if you want to know, you know, what this guy's like, uh, how, do we, how do we know that? Or if that's not really relevant to what you're thinking about, let's say you're an employer and you're wanting to see what a certain person might be like. Uh, you're seeing the resume, you've had a face-to-face -face interview, but you just got to wonder, is there anything else that might be relevant for me to know. So just out of curiosity, uh, what would you do? How do you find out? If you have the time and capacity, how do you find out what a person's true nature is all about? Any ideas? Ask other people. Yeah, so some real references who actually know them. Yep, very good. Anything else? Yeah. Oh, go a little deeper. Yeah, very good. So don't settle for the interview uh, alone, but, you know, see what they're like uh, at a meal. Yeah, that's actually, um, that's an interesting business tactic. I was just reading about that in one of these recent books where you take them out to lunch. And sometimes the company even plays a little trick, uh, like they, they set up for the waiter to do terrible service. <laughs> and they want to see what, what the person is going to do with that conflict that's just happened. It's very interesting stuff. Now I know if I'm invited over to Helen's for tea, she's going to put salt in my tea or something, you know, just to see what I'll do. <laughs> what else would you do if you want to find out about a person? How they handle adversity, right? Okay. What else? Yeah, I knew somebody was going to say social media, right. Uh, you want to see what they've been up to? This is something that younger generation is just waking up to, uh, that you know, the platforms are visible to lots of people. And uh, maybe, maybe those shots that were funny in college when you were totally lit up and <laughs> didn't even know what you were doing, not so great for a business interview, you know, at this point. That stuff happens, right? So that gives you an idea. You can kind of see a little chronicle of their life and their experience. Anything else? Taking the play golf. Yeah, especially if you're good and they're not, just for fun. Yeah, just be able to laugh at them. Yeah, yeah, you've got two to four hours of hanging out and getting to know what they're like. And again, talk about under pressure. You know, there's nothing worse than teeing off with a potential boss or potential, you know, girlfriend's dad, right? <laughs> Thanks for all these tips. That's pretty good. You know, we would look at all these things. We would look at what are their hobbies? Uh, what are they into? If, if we can talk to some of their friends, we'd want to talk to their friends. If we could have the opportunity in a non-creepy way to just kind of understand their day and what do, they, what do they do? You know, what's a normal week for them uh, look like? That kind of stuff would be helpful. You'd want to know, you know, they say they're sort of service-minded and humanitarian. Well, how do you know that? What are, what are you actually doing with that? Are you just saying that because it makes you look good or are you actually giving your time to something bigger than yourself? All right, these are the kinds of things that we do. Well, I want to ask the same question about Jesus' mission uh, because I think it's really helpful for us to nail this down. And as I mentioned to you uh, last week, um, that Abba idea got overwhelmed by other ideas uh, about who God is over time. Uh, it stuck for a while. We'll, we'll see that today uh, because of how it was reflected in a particular way. 
But if you recall, the whole trajectory of the church was changed when it became the state religion, and now all of a sudden it's in power, and power generally has a way of corrupting things, and it certainly did uh, with the church. And then around a 1,000 uh, years ago, a guy named Anselm uh, really focused in on the sacrificial death of Jesus as an atonement for God's sin. And that was really the first time where that was the dominant way of thinking in the church and the dominant message of the church. And that changed the way we thought about, well, what are we supposed to do? And the mission then became, from that point forward, our job is to let people know they're sinners they need to be forgiven. This is the Roman road in short. They're sinners. They need to be forgiven. God has given us a way to do that through the death of Jesus as a substitution for your life, for his. And now you can know you're forgiven and bonus, you get to go to heaven. That became the primary movement. But what I would suggest to you, because those are that is an expression of God's love, to be sure, because that is one of the things he has talked about is you're absolutely loved. Grace is abundant. You can't out God. But the interesting thing is, is Jesus was proclaiming that long before he died, long before any of that happened. And so it makes us need to wonder just a little bit more. Okay, so, so if God's love is just sort of square one, which is incredibly important, it's, it's foundation for everything. That's what's, you know, honestly, one of the great gifts that you gave me in sabbatical was just time uh, to pull back from my roles, to take off all the different hats that call me to perform in different ways and just come back home and really refound myself in this core truth that we are deeply, profoundly loved by God and nothing can change that. I'm absolutely convinced that that Deep, deep problems like self-esteem issues, confidence issues, um, your value, your worth in a world that tells you you're, you're, you're based, your value is based on how you look, uh, how much money you have, what you're driving, where your zip code is. The love of God changes that and says that is not how you're valued. You are inherently valued by God, and God is forever. So nothing can take that away. That's a foundation. But that's also pre-kindergarten. And the rest of what Jesus had to say, built on that, everybody knows, kindergarten and preschool are very, very important. They're the building blocks. 
but they're the building blocks so we can build onto it. And that's what I want to look at today. You know, one of the things that um, I don't think you, well, you could get away with it in a, in a church interview with somebody, but one way to ask, uh, to get to know somebody would be to ask them, what, what's on your prayer list? What do you pray for? Think about that. What do you pray for? Because that reveals our passion, our obsessions, and our heart. So I, I know that one of my passions in my life, one of the, or what you're deeply uh, thinking about and loving, every day I pray for my wife, and I pray for my kids, and I pray for Crosswalk. I pray for my capacity to be a good pastor and other things. But those things are always on the list. What's on your prayer list? I wonder what's on Jesus' prayer list. I'm glad you asked because that's what we're going to look at today. Uh, we're going to look at his prayer, which we just started on last week. It's the Lord's Prayer. Remember, he was asked, how should we pray by his disciples who are wondering, what should we do with this? And I think there is much here that sometimes we forget. Now, I hear this prayer all the time. I encourage you uh, to memorize it because then it sticks with you. Uh, you can hear this prayer uttered every day at about 1.15 if you're standing out in the hall because every uh, group that meets in that room during AA from 12.15 to 1.15 ends with the Lord's Prayer. It's pretty cool. But it's not meant to be a magic trick. It's not meant to be just words to make God happy because we learned the prayer. Uh, it's a structure for how we think and move in the world, how we meditate on what's ahead. So I'm going to walk you through, and we're just going to briefly go through some things to take a look at. We're going to take a look at what Jesus is saying in the movement, uh, how it's represented in Jesus's life, so it's related to his mission. And then finally, how did the disciples play this out? Because that's another way to learn about somebody. Not always, but you can tell something about someone from their kids or their students. You know what I mean? Uh, if, if, if you go out into the world and you're a total jerk <laughs> and they ask you, where do you go to church? And you say crosswalk. Well, you know, if, if they don't know any better, they're going to, they're going to maybe wonder, man, is that, is that the kind of Christianity that happens at crosswalk? Is that what's coming out of pastor Pete? Now kids don't always represent their parents well, but there are traits that certainly do uh, flow through our children. And I think with Jesus and the disciples, we're going to see that. So uh, the thing starts off on the next slide. Our Abba who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Well, what's going on here? Well, well, Jesus is making a distinction that this Abba that he's talking about is God. And God is as close as our breath as we uh, experienced in that meditation. But also is not only the closest, but God is also the farthest. So it's a strange reality that God is both as near to us and intimate with us, and yet God is on the, the furthest expanse of the universe and beyond, if there is something you know, that we can even imagine. This is the place of God. So uh, we're seeing that we're addressing something very different here that might have a different way of being. Uh, Jesus, uh, I'm actually going to steal from his mother, uh, here because Mary actually had a response in her prayer about this God that also reveals some things in Jesus' mission. So after Mary, this is called Mary's Magnificat, 
after Mary was um, clued in that this was all happening and she goes to visit Elizabeth and Elizabeth's baby, John the Baptist, kicks and says, Elizabeth says, you're blessed because you believe that the Lord would do what he said. And this is Mary's response. Oh, how my soul praises the Lord, how my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. For he took notice of his lowly servant girl, and from now on, all generations will call me blessed. So right away, we found out daddy loved his daughter, a lowly servant girl. She's not kidding. She's a nobody uh, from Hicktown, Galilee. And she's the one, you know, that gets invited into this by God's self. For the mighty one is holy, and he, he has done great things for me. He shows mercy from generation to generation to all who revere him. His mighty arm has done tremendous things. He has scattered the proud and haughty ones. So she's recognizing there are people who are filled with pride. He has brought down princes from their thrones and exalted the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away with empty hands. So this God that invited her into things, not only is her story and God's story a reversal, because God's not supposed to use some nobody from Hicktown. He's supposed to use somebody royal, perhaps. That's what people would have expected. Reverse. And now we're seeing there's a reversal. Those people who are so proud, who think they know it all, well, they're going to find out they don't know it all. Those kings and princes who are lording it over everybody else, they're not as powerful as they think they are. And those who have, who have been filled with good things, the, the wealthy, who generally, especially in Jesus' day, you were rich because you took it from somebody else in one way or another. You exploited somebody to become wealthy. That was absolutely true uh, in Jesus' day, and in many ways it still is. And there's going to be a reversal there. So as God's mission happens, these kinds of things are going to take place. And he has helped his servant Israel and remembered to be merciful. For he made this promise to our ancestors, to Abraham and his children forever. So we get a glimpse right from, you know, before Jesus was even born, uh, who this God was going to be and what kinds of things they were going to be about. Well, when we get to the disciples, um, they actually kept up the reversing. And they took it further than Jesus did. Jesus even said, you're going you're gonna to go further with this thing than I have, which is pretty remarkable. And they did. They started to include people that otherwise would not be included. They began to elevate people, tell people of all races, all nations, all theologies, you are all equally loved by God and invited in uh, to this conversation and this way of life. Very radical. They challenged uh, Jewish law itself, and essentially, the early church eliminated all but just a couple <laughs> of the hundreds of laws that really needed to be made known and important as they're teaching people about the faith. So the disciples got it. This is a God who chooses to reverse things. And we might feel very comfortable in our culture because it's our home, but is that really the way of God? That's the question. The next part of the prayer goes on on the next slide. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Now, I just barely touched on this a couple of weeks ago, but when we see thy kingdom come, that's not necessarily helpful for us today because generally when we think of a king we think, or a kingdom, we think of a king, we think of hierarchy, we think of power, we think of military might, and that really gets away from the heart of Jesus uh, what he's really getting at is more of what you might call a divine commonwealth. That's a term coined by John Cobb, who's a 
highly regarded theologian, uh, current and in and, and the past 50 years or so. And the divine commonwealth basically asked the question, if we're all loved by God, if God really loves everybody and everything, what does it look like if we treat each other like that? What does it mean if we really treat each other as if everybody really is a child of God? How will that change things? So divine commonwealth gives a little different connotation to this in terms of what's going on. But it also recognizes uh, this piece of thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Well, in heaven, wherever that space is, which is not up there, it's sort of the presence of God everywhere. Obviously, the will of God happens all the time there, uh, uninhibited in terms of what God is doing in that way. But in order for God's will to be done here, it requires people with agency, hands and feet, and that's you and me. God's will does not get done on earth without us, without the people who hear the call and move forward. Well, Jesus understood this. Of course, his whole life was, was doing the will of God as best as he could. He even said, I'm just doing what I see the Father doing, what I see my Abba doing. And he would go out. But he, didn't, he knew it wasn't just his to do, that this part of the message was, uh, you're going to do this too. So he sends out at one point 72 of his disciples. So bigger than the 12, he sends them into different villages, and they go doing his stuff. And what do they come back saying? It worked. We got to do the same kind of cool stuff that you did. We came across even demon possession or whatever that meant back in that day. And in your name, we could even handle that. It was incredible. They come back rejoicing in this because they got to do the will of God. They understood they were a part of it. Well, after Jesus' chapter was done on earth, um, the disciples carried it on. And the way they chose to do it was with these small communities of people. They started to be known as a divine commonwealth. This is a place where people were loved, where they talked about a new way of being. What does it mean for us as people who are loved by God to go into the world and serve the world in, in its different ways? And they were known as the people of the way, and they were known for their generosity and their inclusion and their love. We'll get more to that in just a minute. The next part of the prayer uh, may not be what you think it is. Give us this day our daily bread. My question for you is, why are people still starving today? Because clearly, we have enough resources in the world so that nobody needs to go hungry. Nobody. Why are people still starving by the millions in certain parts of the world? Well, I think you know the answer to that because there's something else going on. Uh, the people who need it the most, for whatever reason, there's an injustice happening. Somewhere along the way, somebody's taken their bribe to get a little bit more cash for themselves to lock up this, or it's all politics. There's all kinds of different things that factor into this. It's incredibly complex. But we can tell you this for sure, that the ones who are really suffering are the ones who are dying, who have no power, no possibility of changing their circumstances. They are truly sitting ducks. Well, Jesus knew this well in his day and age uh, because he was dirt poor. He wasn't wealthy. He wasn't middle class. He, like 99.9% .9 of his fellow Jewish uh, friends up in northern Galilee, 
they all were just happy to have anything to eat in a particular day. It was that scarce. Why were they so poor? Because Rome was in charge, for one, and taxed the heck out of them. Uh, and not only, well, we'll get into taxation uh, in the next slide, but, but they didn't have much money because of that. And then they had temple taxes that they had to pay on top of that. And so they were left with next to nothing, or they could be imprisoned because they chose not to pay those taxes. They were absolutely desperate. When they're praying, uh, give us this day our daily bread, they're actually saying, no, seriously, we would sure like to eat today. Whereas my hunch is for you and us, that is probably not really, we're grateful for our food each day, but we probably really don't think about scarcity because here in Napa, there are abundant resources if people know where to find them, including crosswalk. So this is one of those pieces. So when Jesus feeds the 5,000 people that day, you've heard that story. Uh, they all come to hear him. He's got a little mini megachurch going on. This talks about his wisdom and all that. And he does the magic trick. It was more than a magic trick. It was a statement about how God cares for people. And interestingly, there's debate on this particular miracle. Some, uh, just primarily from a more literalistic point of view, uh, that assume that everything on the, in the Bible is exactly as it happened without any question or, or cannot be questioned. So when we see a miracle like Jesus uh, taking a kid's lunch and making it enough for 5,000 people to eat, it sounds like one of these crazy miracles uh, that it just keeps on coming out of the sack lunch. We don't know how it's happening. But there's a whole school of thought that, that looks at this differently, looks at it more as metaphor, and says, you know, what is the bigger miracle? For Jesus, who's identified as this one, to keep pulling loaves and fishes out of a little sack lunch, or is the bigger miracle that by this kid's offering his sack lunch, everybody else will be moved to share what they brought for the day so that everybody could be fed? Well, that would be the bigger miracle in our day, wouldn't it? And so this feeding thing is way bigger than the hat trick. It's way bigger than uh, a, a magic show. It communicates that somehow Jesus' teaching got through to them so that everybody was fed. And the, the scripture states, there were 12 basketfuls of food left over, which is a nod to Israel with the 12 tribes. So God is taking care of everybody because everybody is doing the will of God. We are the hands and feet. And when we do our job well, people don't starve. Which means that if we're going to take that bread thing seriously, it's going to challenge the way we enter into the world. And when we see that there are issues of hunger, it means we look at the thing in all of its complexity and ask the question, how can we do something about this? And are we going to do something about this? Even if it gets messy, if it's unpopular, probably will be somewhat political at some point in some way because we're called to speak into this world. Now, the disciples, uh, they kept this thing on going, and they were, they were known for their, uh, for their dinner parties, if you will. It wasn't just communion for them. Uh, it was a meal shared together. And the extraordinary thing about the meal that was shared together, which was so countercultural, was that literally everybody could get around the same table. 
rich people, poor people, people of different uh, ethnicities, all welcome around the same bread and cup. That's radical stuff. It did not happen. It still rarely happens. Imagine, you know, things are changed and you are now, we are now able to go to, you know, the fanciest restaurants that hardly anybody can afford uh, because it's been open for everybody. And now we're, we're sitting across the table with people that we never could have possibly known together and we are truly welcome there. Not that that's the dream, but you kind of get what I'm saying. What was out of touch, out of reach, is now right there before us. So the disciples continued this thing on, and they recognized that feeding people mattered. Paul even had to speak into it once because probably the rich people got there first because they could control their day a little bit more, and they just started eating because for them, it's like, uh, well, it's just it's food. And they didn't even think about, oh, other people are coming. And so by the time the poorest got there, because they worked harder longer, there was no food left. And so Paul kicks their butt and says, hey, knock it off, you know, wait for everybody, eat it together so that everybody gets enough. Interesting stuff. Food is not just food. Food is justice, which gets us to another justice thing on the next slide. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Now, uh, we say, usually when we repeat this prayer together every week, we use trespasses. I grew up using debtors. Debtors is probably the better translation of the word. Uh, but we don't understand that word quite so well uh, today. It doesn't translate as well. Trespasses and sins, that translates well. The other reason why I made the, the call to go with trespasses is because uh, we have so many 12-step groups that meet here. When they come and try us on for size, I want them to know the prayer uh, because it's a real bummer and when everybody's saying debtors and you're the only one that starts into the trespasser thing, right? So let's keep it familiar. But I want to tell you that the actual wording uh, has more to do with debt and debt relief. And that is critical. You remember that I told you that Jesus and his contemporaries were dirt poor because of taxation. Well, if you failed to pay your taxes in ancient Rome, um, they would first see if you had any property that they could seize uh, to take advantage of that, which may include eventually your own land. And then they would keep looking deeper and deeper. What else can we take from you? It may, you might have to give up your kid, perhaps, or you might have to go yourself, and you become a slave to Rome. So debt is a major issue because these people literally couldn't go forward in their life as long as that debt was in place. So this call to forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors uh, is also a mission-related thing that we are people who recognize that we live in a world uh, where there is injustice along the lines of debt and that it is still oppressive. This is actually uh, a fascinating thing in global economics. Um, One.org uh, was founded uh, because uh, Bono, uh, my hero, <laughs> Frontman for you too. Uh, he recognized that they could do all the concerts in the world and raise millions and millions of dollars uh, from charitable people, concert goers, but it really wasn't going to make any difference. The only thing that would make a difference is if different countries around the world who had more figured out a way to release debt from those countries that had nothing and very little capacity to change. Debt is related to food, is related to starvation. Debt is not an, an ancient issue. It's still a relevant issue. 
and it speaks to justice. What are we going to do in terms of bringing the divine commonwealth here? Uh, you've certainly heard the story of Zacchaeus, the short tax collector, right? And as Jesus was coming to the town, Zacchaeus knew he couldn't see, and so he climbs the sycamore tree, right? We have a cute story we tell kids, come into your house today. You know, that's what Jesus says, I'm coming to your house, uh, which was a sign of love towards Zacchaeus, who everybody hated. He was looked at as a traitor uh, to Israel. And Jesus basically is saying, I care about you. That's why I'm coming to your house. And as the embodiment of God's love, that means God loves you too. God loves you too, Zacchaeus. And you know what happened to Zacchaeus? The love of God changed his life. And Jesus listened to Zacchaeus. And what did Zacchaeus say? He said, today, I'm going to right the wrong. All the people I've ripped off, all the money I took from people, I'm going to give it back and then some to follow Old Testament law. And what is Jesus' statement back to him? Salvation has come to this house. Why? It wasn't because of his belief statement or his creed. It was because his behavior corrected the unethical, unjust action that he lived. This is not popular, by the way. This, this whole idea, it is so much easier, and as you'll see uh, in the coming weeks, next week, I'll actually bring it up very specifically, as you'll see, there was, there was a uh, collaboration uh, between the church and politics a century ago that kept justice issues out of the pulpits, and the dominant thrust that replaced it was we are here just to help you get your sins forgiven so that you can go to heaven. And the politicians that helped broker this deal were more than happy for that to happen so that they could continue on their own way and not have these pesky flies ants at their picnic called the people of faith. I'll bring it to your attention next week. But this stuff is never popular. And it always is going to tick somebody off. But if we are called to bring about the divine commonwealth and just say plainly, there's a wrong going on here. This is not the way that if we really love each other, if we really believe that God loves everyone and we're brothers and sisters and we should honor that. And remember, love is not wimpy. Love is strong, mature, calls to account, corrects, guides. So it's not wimpy. It's not doormat. doesn't let people get away with murder all the time even though it says God's, God loves even the murderer. They're two separate issues. And I hope we see that. It means that we as a people of God, if we're really the hands and feet, when we see injustice taking place on whatever level, it means we raise our hand and say, we need to think about this. Collectively, we need to think about this. We need to be people who are aware of where the divine commonwealth is not that we might speak it into being with the Spirit of God's help where it needs to be. Which is why the prayer ends as it does on this last screen, and then we're wrapped up. The final part of the prayer doesn't get to the power and glory forever because that wasn't part of the original prayer. We added that in church history. So Jesus ended it by saying, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. It's kind of an odd statement because... Uh, why in the world would God lead us to temptation? That doesn't make any sense. Deliver us from evil, yeah, sure, we can get that, but this doesn't make any sense. Well, 
If you go back into the original language, really what's being talked about here, and this would be deeply meaningful to an original audience, is that what, what he's really saying here is preserve us through the trouble that we're going to go through. There was an assumption on Jesus' part that his life was going to be taken through hell because he knew that he was poking the bear. He knew that he was taking swings at Rome, and Rome was not going to like that, and he did, and they didn't. And he also knew he was poking the bear of the Jewish leadership who had abused their authority, and he was right about that too. They didn't like it, so what did they do? They worked with Rome to wipe Jesus out. The disciples knew, we're following this guy. <laughs> we're supposed to keep following this guy. Which means if we really are following this guy and we're really trying to bring the divine commonwealth to being, uh, it's going to be tough. Remember Jesus, the night he was betrayed, the night that he was arrested that led to his death. Remember, he was literally sweating blood in the Garden of Gethsemane. And what was his prayer? Take this cup from me. I don't want what is happening. I don't want what is coming down this road. I don't want it. If there's any way, God, take the cup from me. But then he comes back and says, but that will be done. He wasn't surprised that he would be arrested, beaten, killed. He saw it coming a mile away. And he said, but if this is the way that we shine a light on the injustice, then I will do it. And I'm going to do it in a divine commonwealth kind of way. I'm not going to fight back. I'm going to go in a nonviolent way so that everybody looks at what is happening to me and says, surely there is an injustice happening here. And it was hard. When he's on the cross, he quotes a psalm where the psalmist is lamenting, my God, why have you forsaken me? I feel so alone. That kind of hard is what Jesus went through. Well, the disciples followed Jesus' footsteps and followed on the mission to bring about divine commonwealth. And I kind of tongue-in-cheek here uh, put jailhouse rock, and the reason was is because they got arrested and they got beaten. But if you read the book of Acts about the disciples, uh, they also experienced the power of God with them even in the torture chamber. They were known for their fine singing voices in the jail cells <laughs> because they would sing songs of praise to God even while they were being abused just for bringing up the divine commonwealth and bringing it into being. They took seriously, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven and knew that it was their hands, their feet, their mouths that brought it about. So my question for you on this last slide, is if this is what the mission of Jesus really was, which got changed, by the way, it got modified some. We see changes happen uh, from the earliest writings of uh, the Gospels, although they were a little bit later uh, once they came about. In Paul's writings, things are a little bit different. And then by the later stuff in the New Testament, we see some mission shift. We see things changed a little bit. And it's just a reminder uh, that the Bible has human fingerprints and context all over it. So we see an influence of empire thinking, kingdom-type thinking, uh, show up even in our New Testament. But when we look back at the original Jesus and what he was really about, he was about bringing this to, to the world, this divine commonwealth. What does it mean for us to really be the people of God? For me, 
it's kind of obvious what should our mission be as Crosswalk. If we dare to call ourselves a Christian church, then the mission has to be the same, which may be a real bummer uh, for some of you uh, because it's not easy. It is way easier and way more popular to just go down the road of mission that is all about knowing that Jesus died for your sins. All you got to do is say things right, get baptized, know you're going to go to heaven and show up for church each week just in case God's paying attention. I'm exaggerating, but you get my point. That is much easier. That feeds our fear mentality. Our lizard brain perks up on that. I got to do what I got to do to make sure God loves me. And so we go whole hog about that. But what if the mission that Jesus came to be about was so much more than that? Not that, there, not that grace isn't a part of the equation, not that that's not part of our messaging, not that there's a future to look forward to. Of course there is, but what if that is just, what if that's just pre-kindergarten? And the rest of what Jesus is wanting to do and say in the world is so much bigger, so much more relevant, and so much more beautiful, and requires hands and feet to do the will of God. Which Jesus do you want to follow? The one that developed over time, which I don't think has a lot of semblance to the actual Jesus of antiquity, or the one that we've looked at today, whose prayer shows us his cards and what he was really about, whose final command uh, and great commission said, go into the whole world and make disciples, not just people who say with their lips, Jesus is Lord, so they somehow think that's what God is really after, but go teach people this way, this different way of being in the world, because it can work, and it did work. It did work, and it does work if we're willing to go after it. So I don't know how God is going to mess with you on this, um, but I'm guessing something uh, might be happening in you because that's how God generally tends to work. So I'd like to have a moment of quiet, and then on the second screen here, this is, I think, this, I'm, um, I'm taking some liberty here, but I'm pretty confident I can get away with this. This is a reinterpretation of that prayer that I think might be uh, helpful today. So I just want you to look at this. Our loving, supportive, holy Abba, who art here and everywhere, thy divine commonwealth come. Thy will be done through us. We are grateful for the gift of food and work for all to eat their fill. May we work for a world where mutual grace and respect abound, modeled after you, where that kind of punitive debt, which is inhumane, doesn't exist. Strengthen us for the work we're called to, and amen literally means may it be so. So with your eyes open, is the Spirit in any way compelling you or inviting you to any of that? Because this is the invitation. I guess I could ask for an altar call for all of us to come forward, but that's kind of off point because this is an invitation that is an everyday kind of invitation. 
who are we really about? What are we doing? Who are we? And where are we going? It's a decision every day that we have to make uh, because the culture around us does not speak this. And the culture will always woo us back with, to what is more comfortable, which is the culture we're used to. But this calls us from the heart of God. And I'm wondering if you're down for it. Let's say it out loud together as our benediction here. Our loving, supportive, holy Abba, who art here and everywhere, thy divine commonwealth come, thy will be done through us. We are grateful for the gift of food and work for all to eat their fill. May we work for a world where mutual grace and respect abound, modeled after you. Strengthen us for the work we're called to. Amen. May it be so. Thanks for showing up today. Hope you had a good experience. We will see you here next week.